Welcome back to the latest episode of the FSLSO Palmcast. I'm your host, Brian Young, filling in for Jordan, who's off fighting crime in Gotham City. Of course, I'm joking about that. Jordan and his wife actually just welcomed into the world a new baby boy, so he's off changing diapers, but he will be back with us soon. Um, but today we have a very special guest. Uh, we have Miss Ashley Khalifi, who works for Capital City Consulting. Uh, we've been wanting to have you on for a long time, and we finally got you, and I think now is the perfect time, so welcome. Thank you. So we always tease Jordan and call him Batman because at an FSLA conference a number of years back, he dressed Oh, up- I very much remember the video presentation. Yes. Yes. So he dressed up as Batman for a presentation, and so we tease him from, from that uh, conference. But Batman, not unlike all superheroes, have an origin story, kind of where they came from and how they came to be. So what we want to know is, what is Ashley Khalifi's origin story? Okay. I um, grew up in Boynton Beach, Florida. I went to um, grammar school and high school there. I ended up going to college in Nashville, Tennessee at Vanderbilt. And then I came back to Tallahassee, to Florida, to attend Florida State Law. I worked as a practicing attorney for a little while. And um, when I was there, I met uh, Jeff Atwater, who was running for CFO at the time. And right after he won his election in 2010, um, he reached out to me to come work for him. I agreed. Um, It was a great opportunity. I handled um, legislative affairs, cabinet affairs, and a couple other units for the Department of Financial Services. I was there until up close to the end of his first term as CFO. And then I moved back out into private practice. I was trying to decide what I wanted to do. And... uh, had a good opportunity at Capital City Consulting. So I joined them in 2013, at the end of 2013, and uh, have been there ever since. So undergrad in Nashville, that had to be uh, a good time. I think I probably would have failed out the first semester if I had to go to college in Nashville. It was a wonderful time. (laughs) Best city in the world. So you made it back down to Tallahassee, the great state of Florida. And, you know, since we're in Tallahassee, it is a big football town. So we have to ask this question. Um, I do want to warn you, we have a lot of our listeners are graduates of the RMI program of FSU. But if Vanderbilt uh, were to play Florida State in a football game, who would you root for? I don't think anyone would judge me for saying I would root for my undergrad. Uh, well, and it's happened, it's happened before when they played baseball. So yeah, Vanderbilt's got a really good baseball team. Yeah, they don't, they don't they don't meet often, but they do sometimes in the baseball field. Well, we won't hold that against you. I'm sure you root for FSU for the rest of the uh, games when they're not playing Vanderbilt. Absolutely. I'm a very unsatisfied fan. I have two teams that just don't seem to have a lot of uh, success lately. So Yeah, we're hoping to turn that around here in Tallahassee. Uh, so you mentioned you worked for, uh, you know, the CFO, the Department of Financial Services. How do you think uh, your time in, in that position helped you gain a better understanding of how the Florida governmental process works and how did that prepare you for the next step in your career? Well, I think the people I met, it was just very interesting to see, you know, all these different interest groups, all of these kind of different levers within state government that kind of need to be pulled in order for things to get accomplished the complexity of policymaking in in Florida, um, kind of the the attention that policymaking in Florida gets, and uh, really just the process and the people. 
so it was a it was a great experience. Um, I really enjoyed working with a lot of the employees that are still at DFS. Um, they have a great department, still do have a great department. Um, and and in my role as overseeing cabinet affairs, got to meet a lot of the people within the cabinet agencies as well. So Florida is a very unique state as it is organized from a governance standpoint. And so I think being on the inside definitely helps you appreciate, you know, the level of complexity. I've always heard, and I don't know how familiar you are with other states' legislative processes, but I heard Florida is one of the most complex and uh, most challenging environments to uh, accomplish anything. Would you agree with that? or? Um, I don't. I mean, I think probably it's challenging in a lot of places. One thing that's unique about Florida is, you know, we're we're one of only a handful of states that has kind of a dedicated press corps. Um, a lot of states don't have that. And so I think in addition to the legislative advocacy work, there's a whole nother layer of abundant transparency and, uh, and and media that really covers a lot of these issues. And so there's a whole nother dynamic um, to our policymaking that other states may not have. And I think that brings a lot of attention on issues like insurance, whereas in other states, you know, that kind of attention may not be there. Okay, interesting. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the work you do with Capital City Consulting now. We are a full service government affairs firm. Um, we're, the way we're organized is we have, you know, subject matter experts for pretty much everything. So um, I do a lot of work in the financial services arena. Um, I have colleagues who do a lot of work in, in healthcare, education, transportation. A lot of us are former government employees, officials at different, you know, ranks um, and have served different lengths of time doing a stint inside the government, which I think is why our firm has been able to offer a lot of expertise and, and help clients be successful navigating government. Um, we have people that work on procurement issues. So I, uh, we work as a team, but everyone kind of is the, the lead on, on clients as it relates to different policy issues. Okay, great. So since joining uh, Capital City Consulting back in 2013, uh, what are some of the accomplishments you're most proud of? One of the things that I am most passionate about is civil justice reform. And so I have spent a lot of time researching a lot of the issues that currently are plaguing the insurance market. Um, a lot of people like to call it social inflation. That term is not something I I'm um, a huge fan of. I, I think that, um, but tort reform is is incredibly important. I think that um, a lot of the issues plaguing our insurance market have their roots in a wayward civil justice system in Florida. A lot of people talk about environmental resiliency and the need for that. I think that we need legal resiliency in Florida before we can kind of even get to that. I think that's the the man-made things are what's most persistently causing problems in Florida's insurance market. And so I spent a lot of time researching these issues. I've, I've worked with the Florida Justice Reform Institute to put a number of papers out. Um, a lot of the, the data that you saw in the AOB conversation and also in Senate Bill 76 was, was data that I had prepared and, and put together. So I'm just proud that we've been able to add to that conversation and be able to accomplish things like curtailing the one-way attorney fee statute for the first time in forever, um, which a lot of people thought was not possible. But I think when you had the right information and the right research and the right analysis in front of a lot of people, it started to make a whole lot of sense. 
Well, that, yeah, that's very interesting. So, I mean, you met, you touched on a number of different industries uh, that your firm works with. So, you talked about banking, healthcare, education, um, but a lot of the focus that uh, we uh, deal uh, in here is uh, surplus lines insurance. And of course, you work real closely with the uh, Florida Surplus Lines Association. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about your work uh, with the FSLA? Sure. I have been working with them for close to seven years now. Um, our firm has been proud to represent them for a while. They're a really fun client. When you kind of work in the legislature, it's a part-time legislature, and so you have a lot of very talented and smart people, but but insurance is not necessarily what they do. And so I think a lot of times when you go and talk to people about insurance, the first thing they think of is home or car. And that's kind of where you start as a baseline. And so what was a, a fun challenge with FSLA is how do we go into a member's office and say surplus lines and have them A, understand that we're talking what we're talking about and B, not think it's scary. And I think that kind of the, the legislative strategy for a long time has just kind of been keep your head down and um, don't really make waves. And I think anytime surplus lines came up, it was very controversial because people were thinking homes, people were thinking cars. And so we tried to kind of lean into that challenge and say, hey, we want people when we go talk to them about surplus lines insurance, when we say surplus lines insurance, if we can start at the baseline where they think big, unique, different, that is a totally different place to start than when they think house and car. And so when they think, you know, downtown skyline, big amusement park, huge trucking companies, fleets of helicopters, we start in a very different position. And so what has been fun is really helping um, get that message across and get the value of surplus lines across to policymakers, even if they don't quite understand the market, which it's, you know, a very specific thing. I think that we've really kind of changed the general understanding of, of what this market does, which has been really interesting to watch. And I think you've kind of seen that play out just even this past session when there are a number of surplus lines proposals, which is kind of unheard of to see so many bills related to surplus lines filed and people just have a generally positive reaction to them. So we've we've worked on a lot of things um, over a number of years as it relates to just um, helping the surplus lines market be a little bit more nimble um, and, and reducing some regulatory burdens that really were serving no consumer protection purpose. And so we've had a lot of success with that. But I think our biggest success has really been creating a culture of understanding among Florida policymakers about the importance of Florida surplus lines market and its and its value to the economy here. Yeah, and I think it now would be a good time to kind of mention uh, the difference between my office and the FSLA. There sometimes there's confusion between the Florida surplus lines service office, which I work for, and then the Florida surplus lines association. Of course, my office is the uh, quasi-governmental stamping office where, you know, our main job is to facilitate compliance. Uh, we know we collect your taxes. Uh, anytime you receive a surplus, any surplus lines agent, once they receive a license, they're a member of our office. But if you want to be a member of the FSLA, it's a good opportunity because they're more on the, they advocate for legislative uh, uh, changes and not, a, not only changes that help the industry, but if there's negative legislation that will impact uh, surplus lines business, you guys would like to get out in front of that. Um, so it's a great opportunity to look uh, from a networking standpoint if you want to delve into the association. Uh, so I just wanted to mention that to kind of uh, 
let people know the, the, the differences. Uh, they do have a website. It's myfsla.com. And I also think if you're a retail agent now in Florida, they uh, allow you to be a member. So if you're a retail agent looking to uh, meet some surplus lines brokers, it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity. Yes, we we uh, we enjoy working with all different facets of the industry from from agents to brokers to underwriters. So come on, come all. <laughs> so you mentioned one uh, other item, and I think this is uh, interesting. You say we have a part time uh, legislature where you know you have uh, th- these uh, people have regular jobs and then they come and try to get a crash course on whatever particular subjects they are. Uh, and and it mostly it's because of term limits. So what is your overall idea of are term limits good, bad, or are there positive negatives? Like with anything, there are positive and negatives. You you lose some historical knowledge, but um, it is great to get new blood and fresh ideas into the legislature. And so um, I don't think I could pick one or the other um, and say one is just abundantly better than the other. I think I think each have their merits, but I guess as um, a younger person breaking into this business 10 plus years ago, um, term limits was certainly helpful because, you know, you didn't have this kind of chairman who just was there for 25 years, right? And and kind of had their way of, of thinking and, and that's all, that's all kind of everything stayed in that lane. And so I think fresh ideas, new ideas um, are good. I think also new talent and new blood is also a really good thing. Speaking of the uh, legislative process, we just wrapped up the 2022 uh, session. It, it seemed like there were it was a lot of uh, surplus lines issues that were proposed and they were moving and then things sort of uh, kind of fizzled out at the end. Uh, do you want to kind of give us an overview of what happened with this legislative session from an insurance standpoint? Sure. You know, I, I think everyone is is very well aware of the very persistent problems that exist in our property insurance market. Uh, the legislature in 2019 passed a bill to not necessarily curtail the use of AI, AOBs, but to regulate the use of assignment of benefits and basically said, hey, you can't just um, sue over an assignment of benefits as an assignee. And um, if you win one cent, get all of your fees paid for. And if you lose, get nothing um, and not have to pay the insurer's fees. And so there was um, basically a a framework put in that says you have to win by a meaningful amount in order to get your legal fees paid for, because um, it is my belief and it is the belief of others that the one-way attorney fee is kind of the, uh, the fountain of a lot of mischief in our property insurance marketplace. So in 2019, that passed. In 2021, the legislature passed a a bill called Senate Bill 76 that related to what I call true first-party lawsuits. So AOB lawsuits are actually first-party lawsuits, but I call them kind of fake first-party lawsuits because they're not, the policyholder is not the one bringing them. Um, And they put kind of a similar framework for legal fees um, for first true first-party lawsuits in, in Senate Bill 76. I think one of the challenges that you're seeing is um, you know, we have a statute of limitations that's a couple years. So you're seeing, you know, old losses continue to be filed, but you're also seeing just this very egregious behavior from a, a fairly small number of attorneys um, who file hundreds, if not thousands of lawsuits every single year. Um, some of them, um, based on my research, are, are not following the pre-suit process the way that it was intended to be followed from Senate Bill 76. And so there's just a lot of frustration, I think, from people who say, hey, we passed these bills and we expect to see relief. But the problem is, is that relief is slow. 
um, because of the way some of these laws have been implemented, because several lawyers who have a vested interest in kind of keeping the status quo have been challenging different parts of the laws, and some of them just really are kind of willfully non-complying with them. And so, you know, right now, the the coverage du jour that everyone's talking about is roofs. I know everyone remembers when it used to be mold or pipes or sinkholes. Um, right now, roofs seems to be the one that um, the trial bar is really focused on exploiting. And I will use the word exploit very intentionally. And so there was a lot of discussion about how do you address that? Um, the Senate was really willing to allow base policies to include an actual cash value coverage. Right now, you can only do that by endorsement, but that leaves a lot of carriers on the risk if they reject the endorsement, if the policyholder rejects the endorsement. So the Senate was willing to do that. The House was pretty vocal early on about how about their discomfort with that language. The Senate tried to pivot later in session and say, hey, how about we offer a separate roof deductible instead of ACV and base policies. And oh, by the way, there's this cadre of lawyers out there who's really not following the pre-suit process that we implemented in Senate Bill 76. Let's put some language in there that really makes them do that. <laughs> like, oh, we really, really meant it language um, and puts them on the hook for an insurance company's fees if the insurance company has to redirect them to the pre-suit process. And so that kind of version two of the Senate proposal came out several weeks before the end of session. Um, they were working hard. I know the governor's office was working very hard on trying to negotiate something. Um, I think the House remained very reluctant to embrace those proposals. And so what you saw kind of at the end of the day is, was a stalemate. And what happened was every other insurance issue kind of got wrapped around it the way that the House procedurally merged the insurance bills together. And so um, those those proposals kind of died in a stalemate. Other very good kind of not as sexy proposals, but things that would have reduced a lot of administrative costs for insurers also unfortunately died as well. Um, and then you saw a number of governance changes that were proposed for Citizens Property Insurance Corporation also um, also die under that same weight. So um, it was a very kind of unsatisfying <laughs> session if you were really hoping for something more to be done on property insurance. But, you know, it is what it is. That's that's the pro and the con of a 60 day session is that when the bell rings, it rings. I have read a number of articles that uh, some people are calling for a special session to uh, pick up some of these property uh, insurance issues. Do you have any insight of the probability of that or is it uh, an unknown? I think a lot of what you're seeing is, you know, people who really want a special session um, because, you know, they're having trouble or feel like they're going to have trouble purchasing reinsurance based on kind of policymakers who were already kind of with us <laughs> philosophically during session saying, hey, we're still with you. We still think that these reforms are important. You know, the challenges is the challenge that we had during session, which is what can we negotiate between the two chambers that will be mutually agreeable? And I think that the Senate is willing to you've seen what the Senate is willing to do and willing to propose the governor made some public comments the other day that basically said, hey, I, I have a pen and would love to use it if we could get something good on, on insurance reform. I believe that he's been frustrated at the lag time of the implementation of these bills, kind of like, hey, why aren't these people following the laws that we very clearly passed? And and that is a frustration I share um, and a lot of people share, I think. And uh, But the legislature, he basically said, I have a pen. I would love for the legislature to be able to work something out, kind of the same position he's always been in, which is... I." I'm trying to, you know, 
create a situation where they can kind of come together. But at the end of the day, they, they have to be the ones to come together. So I, I don't know if anything's really changed um, on the new ideas that the House hasn't already rejected. Yeah, and it's a very important issue. And I think it's uh, people are now starting to realize uh, consumers when they get either cancellation notices or renewal premiums, like this is a very serious issue that uh, something's going to have to change or else uh, it's only going to get worse. So we we hope that uh, the powers that be can come together and help out the issues that are facing the property market in Florida. Yeah, and I think from the surplus science perspective, um, you know, from the Florida Surplus Lines Association perspective is we consistently stated over and over again is we want the admitted market to be healthy again. We're not equipped to be writing the homeowners policies all across Florida. We're equipped to write some of them based on their unique characteristics, location, their size, but, but this isn't our gig. And so we think that the admitted market should be able to write these. We are very committed to supporting the admitted market as they look for policy changes and advocate for policy changes that they believe would help them um, come back into the market and write more policies or not discharge policies. And so, you know, that's kind of been the Surplus Lines Association's perspective, which is, hey, you need to restore this admitted market to health. This isn't what we do. We can do some of it as appropriate, but the admitted market really needs to take the bulk of this pol- of these policies. And oh, by the way, for the ones that are super unique or are super challenging, you know, the, the, the worst thing you could do at a time like this is take away our flexibility to design policies for those, those risks that the admitted market just can't bear. And so there's a reason that these policies are coming to us um, and you need to be able to give us the tools and, or not take away the tools that we have to be able to design some type of policy for them because some policy is certainly better than, than no policy. And so we are hopeful um, and supportive of uh, hopefully getting something done. I know I know everyone's watching the June 1st date very closely to see how some of these reinsurance contracts um, go. And so I think you know we'll we'll know more in a few months. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, speaking from surplus lines or just a regular Florida citizens, uh, a strong, happy, uh, healthy, admitted property market is crucial for all of us as Floridians. And like, like you said, surplus lines are supposed to be that excess or that unique, you know, high capacity or, or even distress risk. But we need the bulk of that, the, the residential property to be able to be insured by the admitted market. Uh, so, yes, all, all great points. Um, so, we, I think we've covered a lot. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share that we haven't discussed yet? Not necessarily. I think we'll all kind of be watching as um, as June 1st approaches about, you know, whether or not there's going to be some more challenges that we didn't quite anticipate in this market. And that may move the needle with, with a special session. I'm not sure. Um, I think for people who are, are motivated and are wanting a special session, I think kind of the best thing people can do is brainstorm new ideas that haven't that we know haven't been proposed yet and uh, see if maybe those can get some traction ones that ones that people think will be effective for this market so we can talk about other markets I think trucking is an issue that is getting a lot more traction in Florida I think um, the Florida Trucking Association has done a good job of explaining some of the challenges that they're facing from a cost and insurance access and availability standpoint I think that's something to keep our eyes on I have a lot of hope that the next two presiding officers who will take over after the November elections will be very focused on civil justice 
in a way that we've not seen before. I think they're going to be focused on a lot of things, but I think civil justice being both being attorneys who've practiced and who have dealt with business issues over the course of their careers is something that, that they have a lot of muscle memory kind of coming into their leadership roles on. So I'm hopeful and uh, we'll just uh, hopefully weather, weather this man-made storm, you know, until then. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for being our guest on today's podcast. And for everybody out there listening, be sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. If you have any questions or you want have any topics that you want to have us talk about, please email us at outreach at fslso.com. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.